Welcome everybody. Welcome this is Get to KO being presented by Franken Culture. I am your host, Clifford Red Dog Miller, and as always, we've got Anthony Luhan. But of course, you can call him Lou. We do have a special guest today with us. He is a buddy of mine. We served in the Air Force together. He's a great friend and even a better role model. Give it up for Justin Cal Calvaruzzo. What's up? What's up? So you guys are probably wondering what happened to us. Uh, you know, Anthony and I used to do this show every week. We had this going on for a while. So just kind of give you an update about what happened. We'd originally signed on to be with another network. But unfortunately, those guys kept dragging their feet and then blamed us essentially for it. So we just kind of laughed it off and uh, decided that we wanted to continue and cruise uh, we tried to help out with some other people in some other places, you know, a couple people out in Vegas. Uh, just didn't work out, so, you know, here we are back. So we are going to be controlling our own destinies like we should have been doing the whole time. And, Anthony, what do you have to say about that real quick? We're back. It is good to be back and on the mic enjoying this run that we are about to have yes definitely the people in vegas they're missing out on a few good people here but nonetheless we're gonna keep this show going yep definitely are so what we're gonna do right away man we're just gonna jump right into it so let's get to talking about the great event from last night ufc 230 uh before we talk into the main card i don't know if you guys happen to see any of the fights on the pre-show or even just the. Uh, the prelims themselves, man. But uh, I did want to talk about the Burgos Hollaball uh, matchup. Great first round uh, submission victory by um, Hollaball. But the the biggest thing was is both these guys came out just engaged instantly and wanted to go back and forth. Eventually, Hollaball landed a great four combo, which uh, dropped uh, Burgos. But then he just recovered like on the bottom and locked in this nasty arm bar and uh, came out with the win, man. So it was a big ups to that man for uh you know just surviving the beatdown that was coming and was able to you know keep his composure and then turn around grab a grab an arm and lock him out go ahead anthony what i was saying is is did you get to watch that lyman good fight against uh, ben saunders yes i did how crazy was that that ben saunders did not look like ben saunders no it was it was definitely weird it's like ben saunders just wasn't feeling himself today or that day or something was going on like, it definitely was very concerning but hey, he wasn't he wasn't moving well he didn't look like he was checking well and it could have been anything could have been just like you know the cut uh was so significant to him that he was just not able to get back into where he needed to be and he just he suffered for it man and once he got dropped, man, I just kind of felt like, I was like, you know what, this fight, this fight is over. Yep, that's how I felt, same way. Cal, was there a fight that was on the prelims yeah. or even on the pre-show that you saw that you liked? As soon as he got, as soon as Saunders got clipped and he got hit right on the butt and it was done, but going back to Burgos and uh, Hollibaugh, the the biggest thing with that is, you know, Hollibaugh has, has a great stand-up, but Burgos has a great 
great ground game. And the minute the minute Halibaugh put him on the put him on his back and then went after it, you know, at no point should he have engaged him on the ground. He tried to ground a pound and finish it off, but Burgos is too good down there, and he just locked him up, and it was. Done. No, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that, man. He should have. He should have kept him up on his feet and kept engaging him. Um, as soon as it went to the ground, you're right, man. It was just a great takedown. Or it was just a just a great showmanship of what Hollaball had down on the ground. So, you know, like we were saying, man, big ups to that man. You know, another note that I have in here, too, was the Lando Veneta fight versus uh, Matt Frivola. Um, if you guys didn't get to see this fight, uh, I suggest going back on the UFC Fight Pass or just wherever you go to watch your fights and go make sure you watch this fight because this was a great um, majority draw and you could have called it either way. It would have been correct. If you were going to go uh, with Matt Frivola, you would have been in the right. If you would have gone with Lando Veneta, you would have been in the right. If you would have called this fight a draw, you would have been right. It was just guys laying super bombs on each other and it was amazing to watch um did you guys get to check out that fight at all yeah and it, it really was good they both um they both really avoided getting getting taken down it was mostly stand-up and i think that was both of their strengths and they knew it so they they played to their strengths and it was a stand-up you know fighter versus a stand-up fighter and that's where you ended up with the draw but they maintained action throughout all you know all three rounds Anthony, you got anything to add? Yeah, I definitely did not get that. I did not get to watch that fight. You missed. I I put it on my notes that I thought that this was fight of the night. I thought like if Dana did not reward these guys with any kind of compensation, we they were they were robbed essentially of what greatness they did. Yeah, definitely. I'll have to go out and check out that fight. All right, so let's jump into the main card of the fight card. We should talk about. Uh, so we had Israel, is it Adesanya versus Derek Brunson? Israel Adesanya. Thank you, Adesanya. Yeah, versus Derek Brunson. Uh, this was a quick win, uh, round one. Uh, Derek was pressing, pressing for the takedown. Israel just kept battling through it and battling through it. Um, eventually, there was a part in it where Derek was trying to pull the shorts of Israel. Israel wasn't having it. Uh, pretty much when they got separated, Israel just flipped him the bird and let him know what was going on. Uh, but as soon as the fight started, man, Israel got back into fight mode and was just looking calm. And he was just looking for his shots. Eventually, uh, Brunson tried to come in with a takedown, got caught with a flying knee, and the rest of the fight just kind of ended. Israel took his time. He was patient, landing great shot after great shot after great shot. And Brunson just had to go down to stay down, man. So it was an amazing win on, from what I was watching. I think Israel is the real deal. And, uh, you know, people have to pay this man the respect that he deserves. So right now that puts Israel at 15-0 and and 4-0 in the UFC. And I think there's, there's no one that can state that he doesn't deserve a – top five contender shot um brunson came in at him and he got him with a knee coming in and that was the end so i mean i don't know if they put him against uh, paulo costa or uh somebody else if they do this as the co-main event in ufc 234 because he certainly wasn't beat up and if he did that whitaker or gastelum right now was planned for the co-main event for ufc 234 if either of them get hurt i mean israel adesanza is you know an undefeated uh, and you know, terrific up and comer right now. With that being said, um, what does it say about Derek Brunson? Since November of 2016, when he lost to Robbie Whitaker, 
he's lost four of the last six fights. Before that, I think he had like a five fight, uh, five fight win night, win streak, and now he's on a he's kind of tumbling down the ranks. Yeah, I, I see him. You know, it's he's in the same boat as Chris Weidman, and you know, I know we'll get into the fight between him and Souza, but they're both in the same same boat. They peaked before, and now they're just kind of tumbling down, and the the younger ranks are catching and outperforming them. You know, it's kind of weird because we always talk about that fighter who's always going to be like the bar, right? For like all the fighters in, in, in the division. So, you know, whether you look back and you were saying, um, you know, Derek Brunson, Chris Lieberman, for somebody that really don't know who that, that was one of those guys who's a benchmark. Uh, even Jake Ellenberger used to be that benchmark guy. Like if you passed him, you were going to get into the top 10, top five. But if you didn't, you still had to get back to the drawing board and figure it out. But now what we're starting to see, you know, a Derek Brunson type, and as we'll talk about later, uh, Chris Weidman is that guy now. And it's just, uh, it's, it's crazy to see because you're thinking about how these guys were, we used to look up to him and be like, man, that dude, not only is he going to be a future champion, but he's going to be the man. And all of a sudden now you're looking back and you're like, I don't, I don't know what I saw. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you have to check the hype a little bit. And I think that's, you know, one big thing. The UFC has someone up and coming, you know, lands a couple of big shots, uh, gets a couple of, you know, highlight knockouts or highlight submissions, and they push. And I think they're not ready. So you're like, oh, yeah. So they face that, that steady bar, like you said, um, whether it's Chris Lieb and um, Ellenberger, uh, before you know and then once they once they face them and see how they contend then the UFC decides to continue the push or not and we've seen that go through no that's a great point man to be brought up you know I was trying to think of an, an another fighter who um who I would have considered like that guy who who another was a benchmarker and I keep thinking about the carpenter, man, about how active he was, how much endurance he had. He was in, like, the top – I think he was the top five at one time. And then, like, he started slowly, like, aging, obviously, and then getting down. And then guys were just catching up to him and being able to match up with him endurance-wise. And then we just never – you know, he just never became that guy. We were just – we just knew him as the bar. Yep, definitely. Right. Clay, Clay was the bar for the UFC for like eight years. And you've had, you've had folks in that same, that same uh, weight area, whether it's uh, Diego Sanchez um, or, you know, uh, Uriah Faber, uh, same, same concept that they never have really peaked as champions, but they're definitely someone you have to beat to then reach the champion. You know, but one thing about Uriah Faber though, is at least he won a championship where, you know, Carpenter, Ellenberger, Brunson, Liebman, like Liebman, they they never won. Like they were just the guys that you were like, hey, if you beat him, you're destined to be a star. But if you lose to him, you know, you can still say, well, I might have a couple more years before like I really explode on the scene. Yeah, and I think there's certain guys where you, the UFC, um, when they set them up. Puts them there to see how they do in a battle, and that was Lieben, and that's Diego Sanchez. And you know, you see how they're gonna do because you know their opponent is gonna put them into a, you know, into a war. You got any thoughts on that, Anthony? No, I mean we're all saying pretty much the same thing. We have these like 
handful of fighters that were the benchmark, the the if you get past them, you're gonna get a title fight eventually. And if you don't, you got some work to do. Um we like we all have our our five or six guys that we've named that we all can agree on. Yo, I forgot. Kendall Grove was also that guy for the longest time. And then, uh, and like I said, Chris Lieben was also one of those guys. And it's funny because uh, Derek Brunson actually got past Lieben. And now we're talking about how he is the bar <laughs> and not being as successful. So let's move on, man. We're going to move on to the Marsh Marshman versus Roberson fight. Anthony, what were your thoughts on this fight? I mean, even the stats. Um, this is one of the fights that I didn't, I didn't get to watch. Uh, my my uh, TV was kicking in and out, so I didn't really get a chance to get to catch this fight. But looking at the stats, he took him down twice out of three times, outstruck him ninety to thirty. Significant strikes were thirty four to twenty one. It, it all shows that it was it was a pretty uh, decisive win. Uh, even one of the judges gave it a thirty twenty six. Cal, what was your thoughts? Yeah, to be honest, I mean. It, it was a completely one-sided fight the entire time, and it wasn't something where, you know, Marshman was ever able to put him into any danger. He was, you know, he was not effective throughout the fight, and I think you saw that with 30-27 and 30-26. Just wasn't able to put up any offense um, against him. No, and the one thing I noticed about the fight, too, was when uh, when Marshman kept trying to come over with that, I think he was trying to come over with a left, and every time he came in, he just got countered with a hook. And it was just busted his mouth open. Like, he was just dripping blood constantly during this fight. And I was like, yo, at some point, this man is going to drop and that's it. But the thing that was more incredible to me was that Marshman never went down, man. He's just a tough European, man. And he was just willing to take it to the chin and keep pushing through. So, I mean, credit to him for that. But, geez, man, as soon as Marshman, like, started to get some momentum or get comfortable on his feet, Robertson would take him down to the ground and just beat on him for a little bit and then let him up. And Marshman never got right. never got comfortable. And I, I put this back to Marsh, you know, Marshman's training and his trainers. Robertson is a counterpuncher, and he has a ground game. And Marshman whole plan of action uh, going forward against him was ineffective. Um, that overhand left that he kept throwing, you know, you, you saw it in previous um, previous fights with Roberson. He's going to counter that. Um, and Roberson's plan and his corner never had him change how he approached it. So, it, you know, from, from that first round and when you saw immediately in the second round that he didn't, didn't adjust to that, he didn't have a shot. No, and that's like that's something that you have to go back and look at your coaches and like really decide on it. Like whether those are gonna be the guys you want to continue going with for because you know, if you're constantly being countered and your coaches are not changing your game plan in a corner, it may be time to find some new coaches because there's no reason for you to be getting uh, caught like that and continuously caught like that. That's just, it's unnecessary punishment when your corner is supposed to be there to tell you, hey, watch out for that over, or quit throwing that overhand because he's countering you every single time. Yeah, and that's where a fighter has to go back and look at his tape. And I think, you know, we, we've had a couple of fighters come back and, you know, say, man, I looked at this tape and, you know, either I wasn't listening in my corner or, my corner was blatantly wrong. No, they was blatantly wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so let's move on. So we have Canier versus Branch. Uh, that was the next fight. 
Uh, Kenny Air looked amazing in this with Branch trying to throw quick takedowns and shooting takedowns. Finally went back. Um, Branch just couldn't hold down Kenny Air. But then in the second round, obviously this goes back to the coaching staff in the corner like we were just talking about. Made some adjustments. Landed a huge shot. And then Branch just went down and Kenny Air went in for the finish. It was one of those fights where I was like, oh, what a great game plan and what a great adjustment by Kenny Air's corner to let them know, like, hey, quit doing this. You're going to keep getting taken down. I was going to say, I think a lot of this because um, Kenny Air was a replacement for Rockhold. And I think it played in his favor because he didn't have to change his game plan because um, he didn't have one in the first place. But Branch had to, after prepping for Rockhold, you know, quick turn what he was going to do and how he was going to game plan. And saw that he wasn't able to do that while um, Kenny Air was able to do that. But then the question becomes, does, even if Rockhold was in this fight versus Branch, does Branch still win this fight? Because to me, Rockhold is one of those guys who's so quick to flip on the, on the rounds, he's able to come back. And I don't think Branch would have been ready for that. Even Rockhold's wrestling game is, you know, two, three times better than what Branch's is. And Branch isn't going to be ready for that kind of movement. Plus, Branch is one of those guys, like, unless Rockhold is continuously throwing his, his right and dropping his hand like he always does, Branch isn't going to capitalize on that. Yep, definitely. I mean, they, they've already fought once. They fought in September of 2017. Rockhold got that win. It, it doesn't surprise me the outcome of this fight. Um, Branch is 2-2 two two, coming back into the UFC in 2017 with wins over Jocko and uh, Thagio Santos, but losses against Luke Rockhold and uh, and Conier, it doesn't surprise me. No, I definitely wasn't surprised. So let's hop over, man. We're going to talk about this Weedman versus Souza fight. So this was the co-main event. Um, we can talk about this in depth. Uh, Cal, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I mean, as in-depth as you really want to go, um, Weedman just has not been able to do anything really over the past three years. He's dropped four out of five, and his only win was against uh, um, Kelvin Gastelum. And in his four losses, he's been knocked out. Of he is definitely on the downward slope, and I think he's under the ball in terms of people that you test yourself. And I think for Souza, this, this sets him up, whether it's against... Uh, the the next you know a shot at the champion uh, when he when you know when we see uh, Whitaker and Gastelum who right now it looks like they may fight in February and you know if he takes the champ you know takes the fight off of there you know he set himself up for a championship uh, shot here. No, you're definitely right. I agree that you're setting yourself up for major victories uh, for Souza because I mean I just think you know Whitaker. Whitaker is as great as he is, or as was. We haven't really seen him fight in a while, and you know you got to be concerned about ring rust. And even if he comes back in to this next fight, I just don't see him being that guy, or even returning to that form. So, you know, I definitely think Suze has definitely played this right, and I think he's about to get this title, maybe you know in the next six, six, eight months. Yeah, definitely, I agree with you. I just it, it's. It's hard not to let uh, Jakare have that title shot. I mean, the losses that he's had uh, in the past few 
um, in the past few fights have been to Kevin Gaslam and Robbie Whitaker. Other than that, I mean, he lost in 2015 to Yoel, but he's also, but since then, he's beat Vitor, beat Tim Bosch, uh, beat Derek Brunson, and now he beat up on Chris Weidman. Why not give him that title fight now? No, I agree. I mean, yeah, I, for... I definitely think they're going to. Um, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna give it to him. And you know, it's a it's a question if Whit- you know who's who's he gonna face? Essentially, Whitaker or Gastelum. And either one, he's been beat, so it's kind of a uh, a good setup and a good push for the UFC if they do decide to put him. Yeah, I think I think him trying to go back and get this revenge fight and try to win, especially for the title, is definitely a massive thing. I uh, I think where I kind of worry about it more is what's going to happen with this Whitaker fight, especially with, uh, you know, Gaslam fighting him. I think I think here we're going to see Gaslam take this win, and then, you know, I think Sousa's going to be the guy that comes out of nowhere and he'll get his revenge on Gaslam. You know, I think he's got he's one of those guys that works on his game plan constantly and then looks for the new opportunities. He's got great hands, and then we saw that with Chris. Chris just got popped right in the face and then just went limp out of nowhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that's something else I wanted to talk about, too, was who was refing that fight? I don't know off the top of my head, but Souza just kind of sat back and was like, do I, do I need to? Do I need to hit him some more? Okay. Yeah, like he was legitimately trying to show pity and was just like, "Hey, man, he's out. He's out. I don't want to hit him anymore." And like, yeah, they were just like, "No, no." He said, "Look, he's trying to attack your ankle." Like, dude, he was out. Arms went limp. He hit the ground. Everything that said that you were supposed to stop that fight was right there. His body went limp. His arms went limp. His eyes were glassed over. Like, he was out. And then he rolled over and got grabbed, grabbed Sousa's ankle. And now you're trying to say, oh, yeah, he's good. No, let him do his thing. Like, no, dude, he was out. Yeah, he, is, he was not intelligently defending himself. And, you know, honestly, he's lucky he didn't get the, uh, um, the hando bomb. Oh, man, that would have been, been devastating. Where was your How thought? crazy is it that... Uh... Conway is fighting at this this level at age 38. See, I don't think he had a lot of wear and tear on him anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. He is no spring chicken by any means. He's shown over the past few fights that he has the ability, and, you know, against someone like Weedman, who has a uh, good stand-up a, and, a, you know, a good wrestling uh, background that, you know, he, he wasn't a threat to Sousa. Sousa was able to, you know, demolish him so by the way just to give you a heads up and this is what i thought too i've seen dan uh magliato go and ref other fights and i've always questioned like his thought process at the beginning whether he stopped fights too early or even stopped fights too late but in clear this case man dan has a bad history of just like letting fighters get further injured when when it's not necessary so we're gonna move on to the next fight man that's kind of like the final thoughts for the co-main event but let's get into this main event where we saw daniel cormier versus the black beast Derek lewis and me calling out his nickname would make you believe that the black beast won but as we found out dc is a true heavyweight champion 
Uh, he went in there, delivered a couple great takedowns. Eventually, Lewis just couldn't keep pace. Uh, gone into the second round, we saw Lewis get taken down. DC jumps his back, then puts in for the rear naked choke, ends in a submission. It was a great showing for DC, not so much for Derek Lewis. Yeah, definitely. Um, Derek Lewis was outclassed on this fight. We could see it from the beginning to end. One thing, one thing I'll say is that the, the the connections he'd had, the the four out of the five strikes that he had were significant, were powerful. And DC admitted it when he was doing the post fight interview. Is when he took him down the last time, Derek caught him with a like I think it was his right a right uh, jab as he was going shooting in, caught him right in the eye, and he's just like I couldn't see for thirty seconds. Well, we've always known that he's had that Derek Lewis has had great hands, and he's able to carry that power between rounds. But the problem that we ultimately see is just that he gets tired like real quick. Yeah, he has he has no cardio. He's not, and yeah, I'll put it out there. He is not a championship fighter. He, he's completely one-sided in terms of his you know fighting ability. And it's, this is mixed martial arts. And I'm sorry. If your only ability is to stand up and, yeah, you can throw bombs, but as we saw, you get taken down to the ground and you get laid on for a entire round, and then in the second round, you get you know, submitted. And it, it, it goes to show that you need a whole lot more than just a strong right and a strong left. But but what, is, what does that say, Cal? Uh, what does that say about the rest of the division? Look who he's knocked out on the way to getting a title fight. Oh, hands down. And I think we we're, you know, we're right now seeing a lull in multiple divisions where you don't have a standout, you know, standout top five, if you will, who are all well-rounded. No, we're definitely seeing that in the heavyweight division. It's very weak right now. Um, even guys like Alistair Overeem isn't really showing up. You know, he's been dominated a couple times. Derek Lewis makes it through. Uh, Nagano. Uh, then we saw Stipe. And then all of a sudden you have someone like Brock Lesnar who takes off like a whole lot of time between UFC 200 to UFC 230. And even talking about him being at UFC 235 or 234. And there he is. And he's already back in title contention because he's a guy that brings in a lot of big draws. So let's be ad let's be admitful to that. But DC just like he just stepped up into the role and was like, hey, now I'll be heavyweight champion. And he's just finished out two, two of the top five. So really it just says that, you know, the, the UFC is kind of weak at heavyweight and needs to go back to the drawing board and try to get a new star of someone who's going to come up and blow up. I think the heavyweight, uh, the, I think the heavyweight misses uh, the vision, misses Kane Valsquez. That's the whole, whole new game when Kane steps in that ring. As Junior's Do, uh, Dos Santos, that it's just that heavyweight is just bland. It's completely bland. Yeah, beforehand you had you had a lot of strong, well-rounded fighters between um, Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, and then back when um, you know Shane Carwin was sitting there fighting against Brock Lesnar, and there was just interesting, powerful well-rounded fighters and right now you don't have that you have you know dc able to come in and it's not like uh uh Stipe, Stipe was a you know bad champion you know he defended it multiple times but it goes to show how weak it was that dc could step up and just you know take it from him in that end. i mean you can't all you can't just like 
put put DC down like that for him to step up and take every, take everything away because he was the strike force heavyweight champion. Yeah, and I mean DC oh, did take DC did win the Grand Prix of Strike Force, but let's be honest, man, it's not like we were talking about, you know, uh, Alistair Overeem, Fedor and Makalenko. We weren't talking about, we were talking about guys like Fabri Fabricio Wardoom and guys that uh, Josh Barnett, who had just gotten off of uh, steroid allegations and went into the tournament. It's not like we were sitting there talking about, like, the cream of the crop of the cream of the crop. We're talking about, like, four bums and like dc like it wasn't like these were the most amazing athletes out there right and i think you know fabricio verdum isn't young by any means he struggled when it was a strong division but when you have a lull you're going to have these people who are well-rounded in one area where there's jiu-jitsu um, or striking who are able to take advantage of the fact that there's not a powerful top five and climb up that uh climb up that ladder. what are your thoughts anthony yeah definitely i uh it, it's just hard it's uh, the, the heavyweight division is hard to see where it's going to go because we had the dominating person like Francis Nagano come through, but then get after 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 uh, he got beat by the champ and got owned by the champ all five rounds. Look what look at Derek Lewis. I mean, I think he threw four punches because he was scared of something. Um, now we don't now we don't have that. I literally thought Francis Nagano was going to be that guy that comes and destroys the uh, the heavyweight division, wins that title, and holds it for two three years yeah no i definitely feel you on that and it just not turned out the way we thought it would so something i want to talk about right so we were brought up the strike force tournament that we just had discussions on so fedor silva overeem war doom avlosky uh Kortanov, barrett and rogers that's all the guys that were associated with this tournament originally with uh dc and there was another fighter that was added as like an alternate, right? So Overeem and Wardoom fought. That was the same night that Overeem knocked out. Uh, did he knock out Wardoom? But then he got signed by UFC, so he left. So they had to find a replacement, and that's how DC got into the card. So DC got in because Overeem signed with the UFC. You had Silva beating Fedor, then DC beating Silva. Then on the other side... Andre Avlosky getting knocked out by Kardanov, uh, Barnett beating Rogers, then Barnett beating Kardanov, and then being dominated by Cromier, and that's how Cromier ended up winning that strike force. So we're talking about, like, he wasn't facing, like, the greatest of people to win that, but that also goes back to say that the UFC, as we mentioned, that that heavyweight division needs some serious, serious TLC. I definitely agree. Um... Like I said, I, we had that one guy uh, that was up, up and coming that was gonna we thought was gonna challenge Stipe, and it didn't come out. And now he's lost two in a row. We who's gonna beat? Who's really gonna beat DC? It's not gonna be Brock Lesnar. Does Stipe come back and take his title back, or do we see the likes of John Jones versus DC in a heavyweight battle now? Well, DC is going to have to get past Alexander Gustafsson first just to even be thought about into that title picture. The other crazier part is it's going to be where I don't think 
anybody beats DC. And I think DC ultimately just retires after March and just says, hey, by the way, I was the best and nobody beat me. And my record is unblemished, even though most UFC fans are going to know that John Jones beat him twice. And here's the thing about that is John Jones getting past uh, Alexander Gustafsson, I don't think it's going to be that 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 close of a match. Gustafsson has lost his speed. He's lost his talent. He has not looked good in, in like the last four fights. John Jones is coming and he's hungry. I think John Jones is going to KO uh, Alex Gustafsson and, and then it sets up for that DC fight. I mean, it's a very strong possibility that that's going to happen, but I'm just saying that, you know, with John Jones being away from the octagon again, and only really fighting once a year, man. Like, he's just, I don't, I, I can assume that he'll be the same John Jones, but I just don't think that he'll up to snuff. I mean, Alexander Gustafson has fought him before. They had a great match. Gustafson, uh, Gustafson sent him to the hospital, you know, even though he lost that fight. But I think ultimately, you know, Alexander's been looking for this fight. He's been waiting for this fight. And I think now that John Jones is a reality for him, I think he's going to try to show up and show out and try to finish him. Yeah, I I just I think that John Jones is going to outclass him. I mean, look, just looking at even who he's fought since since John Jones, he's fought Anthony Rumble Johnson. He got KO'd. He got beat up on by DC. He beat uh Blackwitz and he knocked out uh Glover Tushera. You you don't I, I just don't see him competing with John Jones. John Jones is ahead of the game when John Jones could was fighting. He was he was eight steps ahead of the game. That's how good John Jones was. Remember we were talking and sitting there talking about is John Jones the greatest ever? Nobody can beat him. No. I, I, I remember this conversation from last year where we talked about John Jones being the greatest of all time and not a single person was able to beat him or to get past him. But, you know, just father time is undefeated. And when you're away from the octagon, as long as John Jones has been away, it ultimately becomes like, uh, hey, can he still do it? And we'll see what happens in a couple weeks with him. I mean... You talk about how Father Time is undefeated, and I know this is a UFC MMA uh, podcast, but look at Floyd Mayweather. Floyd is still Floyd. I mean, you can't beat Floyd. Floyd is beating Father Time so far. Floyd ultimately retired, so, though. I just, I, I, which is fine. He, he can be tired. John Jones is still young. We're name, older than John fighters, Jones. Name fighters who are in what's what how old is john jones still is he in his 30 is he just turning 30 um i'm looking that up right now john jones is 31 okay so john jones is 31 let's look at fighters because if we're going to talk about floyd compared to john jones floyd mayweather man in his last fight was what 40 41 and he fought a he fought Conor McGregor for his last fight. And let's be real, Conor McGregor isn't exactly like the top, of the, the cream of the crop of the boxing world. It was his debut boxing match against, you know, 
the best that ever did it. And he got knocked out in the 10th, and that's only because Floyd carried him to the 10th. Definitely, but it's still we're still saying that Floyd is undefeated. Floyd is still looking at getting back into the ring at 41, making that to make that money. John Jones is 31 years old, and a lot of those fighters that are top tier in the in that light heavyweight or heavyweight division are older than him. I mean, I agree with that, but I just still, I just want to know where John Jones is physically and mentally when it comes into stepping against Alexander Gustafsson. Only because, like, like I said, in the last what three years, he's only had three fights, and at that, I mean, he's won Which means them he's all. Fresh. But he's still, I mean, it's it's the the thought is is that he still has to. He always has to come back and prove himself. Like he's this ongoing comeback story, and every time he comes back, he sets himself back because he does something dumb or something comes out about some, you know this drug or that drug or he's on pads or he did cocaine or he hit a car of a pregnant lady and then ran away and then came back and blah 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 blah. blah. It's just at some point you're gonna get checked out and it's almost like gsp where gsp was gone for five years and then he came back and granted he came back at the perfect time when michael bisbing won the title and was you know that was the guy that gsp knew he could be because i don't think gsp fights at 185 if anybody else was champion i think i still think that gsp could have beat luke rockhold Blasphemy. <laughs> I, I literally think that, yeah, I think GSP is the, the smartest fighter we've ever seen. I think GSP could have handled Luke Rockhold. But this goes back to where I was saying that, and you said it, GSP is a smart fighter. And I think with him being a smart fighter, it definitely wasn't going to be Luke Rockhold. He just, Luke is a smart fighter as well. He's a great wrestler. I don't know. I don't know what his wrestling ability versus GSP is, only because GSP trains with the Canadian national team, and I know that Luke has a wrestling background, but, man, to see the leaps and bounds that GSP has had, I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's something that I could like just push off to the side and be like, you know what? Nah, he got him. I just... I think GSP GSP would have would have he probably would have taken that fight. I might give you that, but I just don't think I don't know. It just I just don't think GSP would want to put himself in that position to say, "Hey, I'll take Rockhold" versus saying, "I'll take Bisping." One of those two sounds way better than the other. Yeah, I definitely understand that. So let's move on though, man. That's kind of like our rant for the rant. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about what's going to be going down uh, at Fight Night 139 in Denver, Colorado. This is a place that is home to myself as well as Anthony, all of our favorite team teams, my favorite teams, Anthony's favorite football team, plays here, and we just love Denver. And so for the 25th anniversary show, to be back in Denver, Colorado, what a lot of fight fans might not know is that UFC 1 was held in Mick Nichols Arena um, back in the early 90s, and now it's known as the Pepsi Center because that's where the Nuggets and the Avalanche now play. 
but this is our home. This is what we love. And just to see it back after 25 years in Denver, Colorado, is just an amazing sight. Yep, definitely. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good card. And as we talked right before the show, I am gonna I am gonna complain and gripe about it because the main event is Yair Rodriguez versus the Korean Zombie. You have Donald Cerrone over there, who was a pioneer to this sport. Unfortunately, I'm gonna call him that, and that's his hometown. And how is he not the main event in his hometown? Especially gets a good fight at that with Platinum Mike Perry. I just don't understand how he's not the main event. No, I mean I have to agree, but I mean Chung Sung Jung is is he's he's Chan Sung Jung is the man. Like you know, we understand the Korean Zombie. He did something that no other fighter did in the military. He put his career on pause so that he could go do his two years in the in the Korean Army, and then he came back and was willing to get back in the octagon. He's showing up. You know, he's on a tear right now, and, you know, he's fighting a hot Yair Rodriguez. I mean, the last time that I remember really seeing Rodriguez fight was when he fought uh, Frankie, and Frankie got him, but that's, it's Frankie Edgar, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely understand that, but the Korean Zombies had one fight since coming back to the UFC against Dennis Bermudez. Dennis Bermudez. Let, let's put let, before that he lost to Jose Aldo in 2013 before doing his military serving. I definitely understand that. I get it, but we're still talking about Donald Cerrone, who yes has has lost uh, four out of five, but was but Donald Cerrone was the guy that if he fought and 30 days later they needed someone to sub in, he would be like, yeah, I'm down to fight. That's what I'm here for. I'm, I love to fight because I love money. But ultimately that just becomes the problem though, right? Is that Donald Cerrone has put himself in so many fights and then he has these quick turnarounds. And like you said, he's lost four over the last five. And I think the reason why he's even the main co-main event for this fight is because he is from Denver. It's a situation that we saw uh, a while ago in Chicago with CM Punk, where CM Punk didn't deserve another fight in the UFC. Let's just be honest with it, right? He was he was too young, he was too green, and he actually he was too green, and he was too old to be fighting in the UFC anyway. But they gave him the fight, and the first fight was him, and he didn't deserve that fight. There was plenty of other fighters who could have fought on the Chicago card, but because he was a hometown kid, everybody knew there was going to be a lot of draw for him. That's why he was on the card. And so ultimately what we're seeing is the same thing with Don Cerrone, is that he's a hometown kid. They know that fans will come see him because he's from Denver, Colorado, and that's where he's going to go, and that's where he belongs. I mean, ultimately, if this... 25-year fight had Shane Carwin on it, we would see Shane Carwin probably in the, you know, fourth fight, the third third fight on the card, really. He just would be like the the kickoff fight. He just wouldn't, you mean, like, everybody that's coming from Denver, man, is just, unless, I guess, the only person I could see there being as a top main eventer would be, like, Michelle Watterson. The karate hottie. I definitely, yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But I'm still saying that you put Yair Rodriguez, who who was on a tear until he hit Frankie Edgar, and Frankie Edgar outclassed him, completely outclassed him on that. And then you got the Korean Zombie, who's fought one time since 2013, and that was last year. In a in the main event, compared to where you have Mike Perry, who has fought twice this year, this is going to be a third fight. 
which he did lose to Max Griffin, but came back and beat Paul Felder. And you got uh, uh, Cowboy Cerrone, who's fought twice as well. And yes, he beat Yancey Medeiros and lost to Leon Edwards. But they've fought more times in 2018 than uh, Yer or the Korean Zombie has in the past four years. Right, but I mean, if we would have said that um, the Korean Zombie fought twice this year and won both fights, I think the conversation would be a different story. And I think that's ultimately what the UFC sees, too, is that they see the Korean Zombie coming back, so they know they're going to get a big draw from the Korean fans, plus the Denver fans are going to be there, and all your normal UFC fans are going to be there. And we're going to see these guys battle it out. But I ultimately think that because... You know, Chain is back, man. The Korean Zombie is back, and he won. They want to give him that spotlight that he deserves, and they're going to put him in that featherweight fight, man. And he just, I'm ultimately thinking if he wins this fight, he's getting a title shot. I I can agree with you anymore, but I'm still sitting here looking at it like these guys aren't active like Platinum Mike and Donald Cerrone. They're not as active. I mean, we agree to disagree. And, and yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that main card doesn't look bad. You got Cal Pennington, Pennington versus Jermaine De, De Rodemy. You got Joseph Benavides versus Ray Borg. You got uh, what was the other one? Ashley Yoder versus Amanda Cooper, who's going to be cool. Chaz Kelly, who likes to throw uh, bombs, versus Bobby Moffitt. It it's not a bad card at all. It's going to be a decent card. And I think it's going to be a good card to have. And we, we've always said that these cards that are on FS1 or Fight Night uh, 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 are, the, are the cards where they everybody shows out. Yeah, it's um, we, we talk about this all the time now where like a fighter goes away for a few months and comes back or even goes away. But the division never like this division never stifles. But then even like these fight cards never stifle either, man. It's just a lot of people don't pay attention to them because they're like, well, it's on Fox Sports 1, so it's not that important. Or it's on Fox, it's not that important. We don't really need to worry about it. But the ultimate thing is these future fighters are on these cards and we're like seeing these big names come out. I mean, Max Holloway made his way through. At one time, we talked about Travis Brown, how he was making his way through. Like These guys didn't fight on the UFC pay-per-views. They were fighting on these undercards and making big noise. So I have to agree, man, that this is one of those fight cards that people need to be paying attention to, especially when you have someone like Raquel Pennington and Jermaine DeRami uh, on this card. And like you mentioned, man, Joseph Benavides and also Ray Borger on this card. So these cards, it's not like these cards have nobody on them i mean let's just bring up ray borg and joseph benavides both these dudes are fighting and they both got beat by demetrius johnson who we will get into that subject here in a little bit but they're not there they're i mean these guys these these two guys got beat by a common opponent they're trying to fight and they're gonna want to go up and and look for the next fight you know, look for that championship fight. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. It's just, it's insane to see how quick things change in the UFC. You know, where you have someone like, uh, you have someone like, you know, Demetrius Johnson, who has 11 straight title defenses. He gets beat once and they cut him and trade him, quote unquote, for Ben Askren, which... Let's get into that subject, man, because we know you and I have known Ben Askren since he was in college. So we've watched him grow and get into 
you know, the one FC he was fighting. I think he fought a couple times on Bellator and, you know, tried to make his way through, wanted to go on the Ultimate Fighter, was denied by Dana White because Dana White didn't want him because he thought that Ben Askren was too much of a mouth. He actually got blocked by Dana White on Twitter, man. So let's hop into this guy. Let's talk a little bit about Ben Askren and what we're kind of hoping to see from him as he gets into the UFC. Yes, Ben Askren. I am so excited for him to finally come to UFC and come come back to UFC, correct? He never was in. No, I don't think actually, no, I don't think he's ever fun to UFC. Um, he fought in Bellator, that's what it was. But Ben Askren uh, is 18 and 0 and 1, uh, just KOing everybody or submitting everybody. Um, the dude can wrestle. He's a phenomenal wrestler. He fights out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I'm excited to really see what he's going to do, especially under, especially that he's fighting with uh, Rufus Sport. You know, it's so funny about Ben Askren, though, is that you just mentioned it, right, that he fights out of Milwaukee. He trains with Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis. He trains with CM Punk. So we know the type of caliber guys that he trains with, and he beats up on like we've we've heard about it we've seen it and he just dominated people continuously man so it's definitely huge to see someone like ben ashton finally get brought over to the ufc yeah definitely i mean he's been lawyer lawyer the uh ufc for quite some time you really gotta think about about it he's only 34 he's not as old as as we We've seen some of these welterweights, weights, and he immediately calls out people. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months to see who he gets his first fight against. You know, it's awesome to see, too, is that he also trains with Rafael Dos Anjos. So it's not like he's foreign to the UFC. He helps other fighters who get into the UFC just dominate into the UFC. I mean, Dos Anjos was a former champion, and now we're watching him finally get his break in and go you know um a, another fighter that gets that doesn't really get mentioned a whole lot who fights fights with uh team evolve is rich franklin who is a ufc legend who is a ufc hall of famer who is the man who ended the Iceman chuck liddell's career until you know here recently but Rich Franklin was was the beast too, man. Like it's just it's crazy to see that Ben Askren is so affiliated with such big names and never got his opportunity to shine in the UFC until it was too late. Yep, definitely. I um, it's crazy to see that that they had to release DJ Mighty Mouse to uh to get this guy, and it's the first real big ever trade amongst. Mitch mixed martial arts or combat fighting. I'm actually really, I'm actually really, really excited to see what's gonna happen with Ben Askren in the UFC. Yeah, I have to pull from him too. I remember um, his junior year in college when he was wrestling at Missouri. He walked in with a briefcase, and uh, ESPN reporter stopped him and was like, "Hey, why are you bringing in a briefcase?" And he said, "Cause I'm here to collect the hardware." Like he knew he was gonna win the NCAA tournament his junior year and his senior year only because uh, the guy who had beaten him twice for uh, his freshman sophomore year, he wasn't there no more. Like he was, he was gone. And so it just, you know, uh, Chris Pendleton, that's who I was thinking of. 
uh, he Chris Pendleton wasn't there anymore, and he left. He graduated, and then you see here comes uh, Ben Askren. He wins the title twice, so it was definitely phenomenal to see Ben Askren finally get put into the UFC. We've talked about this numerous times, and so I don't know, man. It's good to see that he's there. He's going to bring his undefeated record, and hopefully – uh, we can definitely see him get into a championship fight. Yeah, definitely. It's just gonna, I was. I'm just really interested to see who they're gonna give him first. I mean, he's called out Tyrone Woodley, Colby Covington, Darren Till, GSP. He's called out that whole welterweight division. The Diaz brothers. He called them both out. He's looking. Yeah, for I'm a excited fight. to definitely pick up by the UFC because it's gonna bring some. Some fans, some fans that are going to want to see what this guy's going to really do in the UFC. Anything else you want to touch on, man? Because we, you know, UFC 230, UFC uh, Fight Night 139. We do have Fight Night 140 coming up, but we can t- discuss about that next week or even, you know, next month. Because we do have a lot of time before that fight card actually happens. Actually, it's the 17th, so we'd have, we could talk about it next week. Anything else that you want to touch on? No, definitely. Um, we've we touched on what we really wanted to touch on. It's we've been off doing our thing, trying to work with some guys, getting getting us into Vegas, getting us uh, with their podcast, um, and, and eventually that fell through. And so now we're back on here. We've we've missed a few good fights, um, but again, how great does it feel to be back at this cliff? Yo, it's a it's an amazing thing. Um, I'm definitely hyped uh, that we get to bring this back, and then you know we've even got some better recording equipment this time around, so we're not just doing this on our phone. Uh, we're we're actually like having computers, and we have microphones, and we have all the works. So we're definitely excited to be there, uh, be back. Yep, and- definitely. I, I definitely agree with it. Um, one thing I'm, I'm gonna bring back, and it's gonna be a surprise, and I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna go on my rant or my shout out is our local love. I am going to shout out Miss Taken, my friend Jade. She uh, broke away from that from the band Trexler and created her own band. Uh, they've been on one tour here on the Midwest. They are really good. Um, I am going to shout her out because she does support the podcast. I was just talking to her about it, and she's super excited about getting me getting back into the podcast world. And so I'm going to shout out to that, give, give my Lincoln love out to uh, Jaden Mistaken. Yeah, and, you know, Anthony and I, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, we're going to be attached to uh, Franken Culture, which you can check out all their great podcasts uh, right here. Anthony and I are also attached to another one of them called Frankensteiner. So we talk about WWE wrestling. So as you can tell, like the nerds in us is definitely going to stick through when it comes to, you know, the how you uh wwe when it comes to ufc and eventually hopefully we want to bring back uh your sports therapy where we can just talk about sports but we haven't really fully committed to that idea just yet but i know as for me as for anthony we're just glad to be back on the air yep definitely it just feels good to get back on here and uh really broadcast what we're we're passionate about and it's going to be a fun ride. And this time we're going to do our own thing. We're not going to look to go anywhere else. We got a good group here here with Franking Culture. <clears throat> I'm sorry, yeah, Franking Culture. And um, I think it's just, this is, we finally found our landing spot where we need to be with these with this group of guys and gals. And I'm just excited to be doing this every week. So with that being said, though, guys, that's us for today. We want to get back. So as always... 
It's going to be a great fight. It's going to be a great night. And this is us telling you guys. See you next week. Peace.